Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs, Episode 2. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I found this episode much more difficult to write than the previous episode. And as I was going through and asking myself, why are you having such a hard time with this? Everybody experiences some kind of trauma when their child dies. And I know this intellectually, but emotionally, I have this expectation of myself that somehow it would be different for me because I was a therapist. And I can tell you that it wasn't different for me. And so when I'm talking about being so vulnerable with everyone on this podcast, I'm thinking about the different experiences that I've had putting myself out there when you say your child died. And you open yourselves up to, whether we'd like it or not, we open ourselves up to criticism because always someone has an opinion of if you did it right, didn't do it right. And if you're one of those people that immediately goes to judgment when someone says um, your child died, we know that. We can sense that. We can feel that. And you're actually making it more difficult for people to open up to you. So when I tell people that my son died, especially at first, um, I got this big wide-eyed deer-in-the-headlight look. Sometimes their faces would turn white, but I can guarantee you the first thing that happened is they never talked to me again. And so when I took some time out, it's actually been a week because I've been six too. So if you hear my voice um, being a little gravelly, that's because I'm still recovering from my sickness. I had to really stop and take a look about the different experiences that I had um, talking about the loss of my child. And I really think it's important that we talk about this because I truly believe that people mean well, but they're hurting people. And they don't realize they're hurting people. And they're hurting people because they're not comfortable talking about death. It's not us. It's not us that have lost children that they're uncomfortable with. It's they're uncomfortable with talking about death. So there was an incident this summer with a friend of mine. Um, I was actually just getting to know him at my work. And he was telling me, oh, I live right down the street from you. Um, And I was telling him, oh, I know where you live, you know, just the getting to know each other kind of stuff. And so he says to me, oh, yeah, I know your son. Um, He used to work at Taco John's. And then he says to me, and your other son that died. And I turned and it was just spontaneous. I turned and I looked at him. And I said, you must know my son, because that's my deepest, darkest secret. I mean, and I had to stop and think, is it really my deepest, darkest secret? And it's not that it's a secret. It's that if I really trust you and I'm willing to be vulnerable with you, I will tell you 
that my son has died. But I got to be honest and frank here, not everyone has earned my trust in that respect. So it's not that Christopher dying is a secret. It's the fact that I don't feel vulnerable enough with you to trust you to be with me when I talk about what my experiences are. And that is still true 10 years later, as much as it was in the beginning. I remember going to the gym in the beginning um, and I would tell people that my son died. I was just so desperate to ask someone to talk to and they would just look at me. And then again, they'd never talk to me again. Uh, it's gotta be one of the hardest things about being a grieving mother, especially. And women are social beings. I think that this is a unique experience for women because we are social beings and we are socialized. We are socialized to connect over how many children you have, um, the joys of raising children. Um, in some ways, women live through their children. But it's not always a positive thing for everybody else. So there was a couple of incidents, like I said, just here recently. I was at a dinner party and I had finally decided, this was, I don't know, six, seven months ago, I had finally decided that I had become to a place in my grief where I felt like I could talk about my son and my experiences with, without crying. Like I was, I was really afraid that I would get in the middle of my podcast or um, even in a group or a presentation and I would start crying and how unprofessional that would look like. And so, but I had, I had gotten to this place and I was like, I can talk about it now. And so I was so excited. And I, I had connected with someone who I thought was a friend. I really thought she was a friend of mine. Um, turns out she wasn't a friend of mine. Now that I really take and examine that relationship. But back to the dinner party. So we hadn't seen each other for a long time. So I was updating her on my job, my career. And then I said, and I'm starting this podcast. I'm finally at this place where I can talk about my grief and what it was like when my son died. And do you know that woman turned around and walked away from me mid-conversation? She turned around and walked away from me. And I watched her walk away. So then she goes over to someone that I used to know too, um, an old coworker, and they're talking about their children. Oh, so how is your son doing? How is your son doing? Oh, he's good, doing good in school. Yeah, my son's doing okay. He lives on the other side of, you know, the country, and I can't remember the place, and I don't want to disclose who she was. I don't want to embarrass her on a podcast. Um, never mind that she hurt me, but I don't want to do that. And um, I was like, what about me? They don't even ask me about, I have one living child still. They don't ask me about my living child. They don't talk to me about children at all. And the only difference, the only difference between me and them is my child has died. But they don't, but they don't want to talk about that. Because I'm talking about the taboo subject that my son died. Like I said, it's been 10 years. I just shrugged it off. I mean, what can you do? <laughs> you know, you can't force someone to sit there and listen to you. But I was really disappointed because this was someone that I, I really admired and I really looked up to. And I have to tell you that the relationship is now damaged. 
She has now moved down my scale into acquaintance. If she's even there. You know, and as she was leaving that night, she says, um, I'm really interested in hearing about your podcast. I'll be the first to listen to it. No, she won't. No, she won't. If she can't handle it in person, she's not going to be able to handle the raw emotion that it is there in this podcast. And the people that are listening to it, the people that need to hear it, that go through the same things that I do, she won't be able to tolerate that. And I feel bad for her. I feel bad for her, you know, because you can never truly be there for someone unless you can be there with them in their vulnerabilities. And nothing makes someone feel more vulnerable than telling you their child died. So if you are one of those people that has walked away from someone when they said, I lost my child, shame on you. Shame on you. Because they will remember that. And every time they make a disclosure to someone else, or they even think about taking that chance to tell you that my son died, they will remember that moment that you walked away from them. I promise you they remember it. So back to the dinner party. Dinner parties winding down. It's um, talking to the host of the dinner party who started talking about inappropriate conversation at the dinner party. Now, she didn't say me by name, but she was referring to other people and how she didn't think that the conversation was appropriate for the dinner party. So now, now, I can't talk about my podcast, which is a goal for me, and it's been a goal for me, and it's so badly needed. I know it's needed. My vulnerability and my willingness to talk about these things is so needed in the grieving community because we have got to stop this culture of silence. We have got to stop telling people at dinner parties that they can't talk about the fact their child died. And again, I was really disappointed in this person. But I stopped to think about the relationship, right? And I've been friends with these people for a long time almost 20 years. I've never talked to her about my son dying in the last 10 years. Um, not really. She's never asked me what it was like. She's never talked to me about it. Um, I, I, I'm not sure why, you know? And I was like, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have told you that these people were, were dear to me and, and close in my heart and someone that was really important to me. But yet, they can't be with me. They can't be with me. They can't be with me in my vulnerability. And so I encourage you as I share my most vulnerable time with you to find your people to find the people that will be with you, to be with you in, in your vulnerability. And if they can't, it's imperative that you remember it's not about you. It's not about what you did. It's not about what you said. It's not about anything. 
It is about the fact that they can't deal with death. We're currently in the pandemic. I looked at the current numbers, 6 million. As a culture, we have got to start dealing with the grieving and we have got to start dealing with death because it is here and it is present. And I see the science that says mental health is going up, mental health problems. Well, you know what? Grieving is not a mental health disorder. People are grieving. You have to allow them to grieve. You can't put a timeline on it. 10 years later for me, and I can still cry at the drop of the hat. And when I was thinking about this podcast, um, I did cry. I did cry. Because for some reason, the next chapter we're going to talk about is the most difficult for me to talk about because it goes totally against how I view myself. I view myself as a capable, educated therapist. And I even took that persona into my personal life that how I was somehow supposed to act a certain way, be a certain way. And I promise you, when my son died, I was not that way. So we left off, I believe, in the other episode with Christopher Dine. So he got a chemo on Friday. I'll catch you up in case this is your first um, listening of my podcast. He got chemo on Friday. Saturday, he went back to his own apartment. And Sunday was Father's Day. I had not heard from him all weekend. And I kept texting and I kept calling and he kept not answering me, which was not unusual for Christopher. Um, And I was stressed. By Sunday night, I texted him in the morning, said, Happy Father's Day. Uh, No response. So I celebrated Father's Day with my husband. My mind is blank, guys. I said in the other podcast that he found out that he had cancer on the 25th of May. It was actually the 27th. Um, Trauma, stress, and grief will really impact your memories. I'm so glad I wrote a book at the time that I wrote it because a lot of this information I think would be lost just because my of my memory issues that I have. So that evening, I still hadn't heard from Christopher, but I was antsy. I just didn't feel right. I was just stressed. I don't know. It's hard to describe what was happening with me. Um, But I know I decided to take a bath. Because for me, that's relaxation. Take a bath. You know, I'm laying there. I got my head back and I start to choke. And it felt like something was being shoved on my throat. And I'm coughing and I'm choking. And my husband's like, what's the matter? What's the matter? I said, I don't know. I'm choking. He's like, how are you choking in the bathtub? I don't know. I just, I'm choking. So I go and I get in my bed. And my phone rings. And I think, oh, it's Christopher. It was not. 
was his friend telling me that Christopher died. Yeah, you can hear it in my voice. I Still to this day, I get weepy, but it's okay. Because if I'm asking you guys to be vulnerable with me, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. And I don't remember much after that. I was trying to remember when I was preparing for this podcast, did I hang up the phone? I don't think I threw hung up the phone. I don't know what I did. I think I threw it across the room. I don't know. I know I started screaming. Like deep screaming. Man, I'm crawling across the floor. And I end up in the hallway. Now I black out. Literally black out. And I'm in this unbelievable pain. Like my heart just been ripped out. And, it, and it's weird because you're conscious, but you're not. Like, it's it's just black. You know, you can't see anything. At least for me, it was. The first sensation I remember is feeling my hands on the wall. And when I have nightmares, I still have those feelings of the hands on the wall. And I'm sitting in my dog bed. And my husband told me later that and I'm still screaming, that my dogs are screaming with me. They're howling and yelling and lots of noise going on in our house. And I'm still screaming. And I come to a little bit where I'm somewhat conscious. Like, and I think I'm talking. My husband tells me that I wasn't talking. I was just screaming, mumbling. And I just, and I was going to get dressed. Because I was naked at that point. <laughs> um, so I was, And I kept saying, I'll call my dad. I'll call my dad. My dad will help me. And I did. I called my dad. Um, I thought I told him. He didn't. He tells me later that he didn't remember me telling him. And I remember still going down in our living room screaming still. And I don't know how long I screamed. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know. I do not know. I know the coroner's office called and said because he died in a hospital that they weren't going to do an autopsy. And I couldn't handle it. I just tossed the phone down and I said, I just, I said, dad, I just can't. And so my dad took care of that for me. And the rest is just kind of a blank. But I remember this deep sense of shame. Cause I was like, how could I act like that? How could I? Not realizing that it was beyond my control. There was no way to get that kind of information and not act that way. So those of you out there that feel like I did, that are embarrassed about how you behaved, 
I promise you it was outside of your control. There's no way to do it different. I just don't see how. Because I was no more in control of my body, my emotions, ever. I have never felt like I was that out of control. And what scared me the most, I think, was the blackout. Um, The blackout was pretty scary. Because I really thought I was going crazy. And especially because I could feel my heart breaking. And I felt this ripping sound. And I really thought, I really thought I was going crazy. And I think if I had let myself, I probably would have. I could have disappeared into the blackness and just never came back. I have no doubt of that now. I remember calling my best friend and telling her that my son died. And her wanting to come and be with me. And she did. She's still my best friend today. We have survived the grief, but it took a lot of work. And I hope for you that are listening that you have someone in your life that is willing to be with you when you are not the nicest person in the world. Because I am telling you, for a lot of years there when I was grieving, I was not the nicest person in the world. I remember people coming to my house. I think my cousin came over. We're going to do a whole show about family because that's a whole nother issue. My cousin came over and my dad came over and we just all sat together while we made arrangements. Now, I don't know if I was lucky. I think our family was unusual. We've never really had anybody die. I didn't have any cultural context for how do you prepare for a funeral? What do you do? How do you write an obituary? I never considered writing an obituary for a 25-year-old man. My son, no less. But I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So after everyone left, I remember I posted on Facebook that my son had died. Which is interesting because Facebook memories does not bring that back up as my memory. And I know it was there and I look for it every June 19th and it is not there. But I just find it is interesting that their log algorithm, they call it, um, does not pick up on that. But I know who responded and I know who did not. And my world got even smaller. So I'm telling you, if you are someone that loves someone that's grieving, they know when you don't show up. They pay attention to when you don't show up. And it's damaging when you don't show up. Things get in the way. I understand that. But we notice. So I didn't sleep that night. And I got to tell you, I haven't slept since. Still don't sleep. I was up again 
last night. I'm now taking two sleep medications. And they still don't keep me asleep. <laughs> I was at the doctor last week and she was like, well, you take two sleep medications. Well, yes, I have not slept since my son died. <laughs> you can experience that trauma and then you can judge me for that. But that's why this show is called The Grieving Insomniacs, because it was in the middle of the night between two and four when I needed someone to show up. And there was no one. And so that's why I created this podcast. So that I can show up for you. It may not be in person. But I want to send the message that you are not alone and you are not abnormal and that grieving is our natural born right and it's time that we start taking it back. So the next morning, I have to go to the funeral home. Here's where we get to the obituary part. There is nothing like having to pick out a casket for your child nothing like it and I had such bizarre thoughts and I would really like to know from people that are listening um, no one's listened so far but I'm positive that at some point someone will be listening I want to know so when you were picking out your caskets for your children did you ever wonder what they'd look like like Because I remember looking at them and seeing that satin and going, they're going to have to look at that for the rest of their life. we got to have something on there for them to look at. So I had, um, I think there were some kind of bird flying across it. Because I was like, oh God, he can't look at nothing. And then they sit down with you and they ask you questions. The lady never told me she was writing an obituary. So when I see what was written in the paper, I'm like, really? That's the sum total of his life? Why didn't you tell me you were writing an obituary? She just got irritated with me and walked away. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not going to say the funeral home. Because the funeral home was good to me. It was just one person at the funeral home. There were family members that were upset with me about how I wrote the obituary. And they were like, oh, well, you can write another one. Excuse me? (laughs) You want me to write another one? The first one was tough enough. Um, Granted, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but you want me to write another one because you feel left out? Okay. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I'm telling you, the ugly comes out. When someone dies, the ugly comes out. And it got ugly quickly when Christopher died. Really quickly. I will never forget. I don't remember his name. He he went to the Simple Church in Shreveport, Louisiana, and he was the associate pastor. So if you are the associate pastor, of the simple church, or maybe you're the pastor now. I remember you, and I remember what you did to me. So, And so his friends wanted him buried in Louisiana. Now, he had a, four, a three-month-old child at the time. 
and his friend's concerns were that um, his body needed to be there for a three-month-old baby. And I wanted him home. Because I knew the reality. The reality is his friends miss him, I have no doubt. But I promise you, 10 years later, they've moved on. And I'm friends, Facebook friends with some of them, and I see that they've moved on. And I guarantee that they're not going to, if he had been buried in Louisiana, they would not be going to his grave like I do. They just wouldn't. So this associate pastor calls from the simple church and tells me that Christopher had started going to his church. Now, we were raised without religion. And as I go on through this podcast and talk about things, it'll be clear that I was raised without religion. So I'm a little skeptical that Christopher joined his simple church. But he tells me that it's very critically important for his friends who were members of the simple church to have him be buried in Shreveport, Louisiana, instead of South Dakota, where I live. I just couldn't believe it. And this man was using religion on me, saying, well, you know, they're really sad, and God would have wanted him to be buried here. I'm like, excuse me. You're telling me that these friends that he had were more important than his mother, than his grandparents, his siblings. I am confident that that associate pastor, when and if he gets to heaven, or whoever he accounts to, is going to have a conversation about that. Because that was that was dirty, what he did to me, trying to guilt me. And maybe, maybe if I had grown up in a religion, if if I had grown up with the idea that the pastor knows everything, maybe I would have caved. Maybe I would have caved to his desire to have Christopher buried in Louisiana because it was more important for his friends than it was for me. And shame on him. Shame on him. So I told him, because I was raised outside of religion, this is another thing you don't think about. I, I don't belong to a church. Never belonged to a church. I think when I was a kid, my parents went to church. I don't remember why we stopped going to church. But there was no one to bury my child. No one. So I says to this guy, if you cared about Christopher so much, why don't you come to South Dakota and be the pastor for his funeral? And he says to me, I have to work. And I can't remember what, I can't come up there and do his funeral. Well, you know, Christopher didn't mean much to him then, did he? Those are the kind of things. 
that we as grieving mothers hear all the time. And I would like to believe, I would like to believe. At the time, I thought that it was only me. That there was something fundamentally wrong with me. That this was happening to me. That this pastor was calling me and telling me, you know, you haven't been a good enough mother, so he needs to stay here with his friends. But over the last 10 years, I've learned that that is not the case. That there is someone out there that has a similar story to mine. Because we are not alone in these events when it comes to being a grieving mother. So as I share with you these vulnerable moments, I want you to know that I see you, I hear you, and I believe in you, and you are allowed to feel anything you need to feel, including being mad at the pastor because he was insensitive to you at a, your time of need. And insensitive he was. Who knows? I don't even know if he remembers me, but I, I remember him. But like I said, I'm not, the podcast is not about calling out people. That's why we're going to, I'm not going to say names. I'm not going to say, you know, I try to keep it as confidential as possible. But at the same time, the same time, it is imperative that people start learning that the things they say are hurtful. So, that is the end for now. It's been quite an intensive episode, I will have to say. Got a lot off my chest. Thank you for listening. I'm glad you're here. I'll be here for you. Email me at grievinginsomniacs um, at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram underneath Grieving Insomniacs. Reach out to me. Tell me your story. I'm listening. Thank you for showing up.